You see, I'm Christian for many reasons. Some of those have to do with childhood wounds and scars. Some of those have to do with tradition. Some of those have to do with my parents and mentors and friends. But much of it has to do with having found a refuge for black suffering in Christianity. And that's really complicated because Christianity has so often been the cause of black suffering. The trail of violence against black bodies in America is long. Slavery, civil war, black codes, Jim Crow, rape, lynching, riots, redlining, ghettos, mass incarceration, unequal access to housing, education, health, and wealth. The trail of violence is long. But even if we didn't have these systemic histories to trace, we have been too well reminded of black suffering in America today. Trayvon Martin is stalked by a fellow citizen intent on taking the law into his own hands. Tamir Rice is approached by officers like a violent criminal. Ferguson is met with heavily armed officers while gathering peacefully. Floyd Dent is brutally beaten in police custody and then mocked by those same officers. Sandra Bland is physically assaulted after asserting her rights as a citizen. Walter Scott and Katherine Johnston are subjected to false accounts of their character in order to justify their deaths. Marlene Pinnock is beaten mercilessly in public. Michael Brown is exposed to the elements for hours. And Dejeria Becton cries out to her mother. And my heart breaks with every story, with every video. It breaks in half. Because America has grown far too comfortable with violence against black bodies. This is Profane Faith. Things are going to get worse before they get better. Got down on his knees and gave his life to Christ. Because Americans are dreamers too. You're not in any moral position to tell anybody how corrupt they are. You should be quiet. Why? Why are our black sons and daughters being treated so badly? This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, your boy, Daniel White Hodge. Hey y'all, hey, hey, hey. How y'all doing out there, podcasters, podcast land? Oh man, oh man, oh man. Well, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to Profane Faith. It's me, your boy, Dan White Hodge, and you know, this week, thank God, I am feeling better. Oh, man. Woo! Man, that flu. Gosh, doggets. That that thing ain't no joke, man. And I'm still, I mean, I don't think you can probably hear it in my voice, but I'm still not 100%, but I'm definitely doing much better than I was the week prior, or, or last weekend, definitely the week prior, so... Man, that stuff, uh, that is no joke. I, yeah, yeah, wow. (laughs) Wow. 
Um, man, this is a, a great um, a great episode. I'm excited. Uh, I guess you heard uh, Austin Channing Brown uh, at the beginning here of the podcast. She is uh, an amazing speaker. I'm going to get to her bio here in a minute. And uh, But the other thing I, I wanted to bring up is that I'm actually working on a special issue right now uh, on James Cone. And uh, I'm doing uh, getting some interviews now and just talking to various thinkers, speakers, uh, uh, you know, uh, authors, and just in their response and their, you know, and how James Cone affected their own worldview and their own theology. And uh, I think that's important. I think that's big time important because so much of what Cone did uh, established so many of the folks that we have now that we listen to. A lot of, you know, current thinkers are were influenced by Cone. And so I think it it, it, it was important. I mean, and I think it, this is by no means, you know, like uh, the end all be all. I think it's important for those of us who are. You know, especially for those of you who've never really read Cone, man, first of all, go out right now and read a book. I, I put a link to his, to uh, one of his books in last week's uh, show notes, and, and I'll put another one in this week. But go out and read him. I mean, because he, he laid down material for liberation theology. This He was the creator of that. His book was published in 1969, and he was talking about stuff in 1969 that nobody else was trying to have in terms of in terms of the in, in, in a literary scholarly sense, and particularly in a theological literary scholarly sense. I mean, he's calling out white supremacy at a time when in the academy— there wasn't this, you know, genuine. I mean, now, I mean, it's in, in, in many regards, it's a little easier because of Cone. It's because of James Cone that I'm able to stand on a hip hop theology. It's because of James Cone that you have a J. Cameron Carter. It's because of James Cone that you have a womanist theology that is that is being created and Kev Kelly Brown Douglas and, and uh, Carrie Day. I mean, so there are a lot of us who are current thinkers who have been influenced and so uh i wanted to put together a um a special edition just some i guess again again some just some different voices um and just to talk a little bit about what james cone uh meant to them and uh you know to push a little bit more his uh his uh, his legacy uh into the minds of others as well and um i definitely i'm feel very honored and very privilege to have met him and to have uh you know shook hands with him and talk with him and and uh, him engage with my own work i mean that's yeah, what more can a scholar ask for right um so i was very thankful for that um man more stuff in the news this is uh it's crazy just uh where we're at uh you know of course you know everything's crazy with the uh, the trump's presidency and um you know now you got giuliani uh talking smack uh and you know now you got trump saying hey he don't have all his facts straight and so man this i tell you this show that they're putting on is amazing uh and the continued evangelical support uh of trump i am yeah, I'm I'm taken by that. I'm really taken by that because it is it's something, y'all. It's something. I think that's really at the heart of of this conversation I'm about to have with uh, Austin here in regards to 
you know, theology. I mean, you heard a part of what she was talking about at the beginning of the show, right? You know, black bodies, uh, black and brown bodies, really, you know, queer bodies, transgender bodies, um, how we look at them, how it's been okay now to really create a sense of violence, uh, a state-sanctioned violence. You know, speaking of violence, you also have mess going on down in Puerto Rico right now, which I'm just I'm always blown away that, you know, state sanctioned violence, you know, just that it continues to push back on those who are simply trying to say, look, man, I just want to live. I just want to I just want to exist. Um, and who are the people who like who are the folks that do this? Like, how do they go home at night and sit. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, those are some of the things that I think about, particularly as a researcher. Like, what is the cognitive displacement of someone who beats somebody, who sprays somebody, who, who, who sprays a kid with mace? Like, are really the kids a combatant? A kid with a, a tank top and shorts that they're a combatant? They, they deserve that. Oh, man. I, I don't know. I don't know. We are, we're living in an interesting time. Um, I've got some, some other episodes coming. I've been recording like a, like a madman over here, uh, in, in, in the lab. And so I got some great conversations coming up for y'all, y'all. And I, I am excited. Uh, also got another special edition coming out. Um, I'm working and editing in that right now on mystic soul. There's a conference that, uh, happened earlier in the year here in 2018. And it dealt with decentering whiteness and looking at a person of colors, uh, theological and spiritual experience uh, from a non-colonized perspective. Oh man, it was it was good, and um, you know, I, it's it, it uh, it's worth bearing in mind that these conferences like this are starting to pop up more. Because, uh, like I've said before, hashtag we done asking, right? We done trying to have these conversations about inclusion because we haven't been included. Uh, we haven't been included in the main mainframe, and. Uh, uh, I'm I'm thankful for 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 spaces and places that we can you know be ourselves and be who we are. So with that in mind, ah uh, man, Austin, Austin Channing, I met Austin. Whoo! In fact, we talk about this in the interview, so I won't spoil that when we when we met. But uh, she is an amazing thinker. She is an amazing just writer. She's a freelance writer, a speaker with a particular focus on black womanhood and faith. Uh, she's got her first book uh, getting ready to be released here in May. Okay, May 2018. Uh, and uh, her writings can be found here in Sojourners Magazine, Relevant Magazine, Mutuality Magazine, and a whole bunch of other places um, around the web. Uh, she also wrote a qu- column uh, called Wild Hope for Today's Christian Woman, which is still accessible to readers passionate about racial justice and reconciliation uh, austin travels the country preaching and teaching about the ways his work intersects with the christian faith uh she's getting ready to like i said come out uh with this book that we're going to be talking about here in a few moments like i said i'll put all this information in the show notes you gotta go out and 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 get this and and, and get this uh book uh she's also got a book signing party for those of you here in the chicago land area she's going to talk about that as well again i don't want to take away any of the thunder but if you're listening to this and you're around, you definitely want to get, I'm going to be there. You definitely want to come to this live uh, uh, signing of, of the book and just hearing her voice, hearing her talk about just being black, being a woman, being a mom, being a wife. We need more voices like this. And honestly, this is probably one of the the, the funnest, if that's the word, funnest uh, interviews that I've had. Uh, we literally probably just laughed our way through the entire time. Uh, Austin's a great friend. 
uh, we just there's a lot of just overlap. I mean, she's gonna say one word, and I'm like, yep, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, I had a chance uh, about a year ago to sit down with her and her husband. Uh, she was then carrying her child. Uh, she was then pregnant and uh, met him, met her husband, uh, amazing brother as well, man. His brother's you know in law, uh, just just amazing powerhouse team there. Uh, she attended North Park University, where she earned her degree in business management. She also has a master's degree in social justice from Mary Grove College in Detroit. She earned her master's, uh, where she earned her master's. Austin has worked uh, with nonprofits, churches, parachurch ministry, and universities in both the urban and suburban contexts. Uh, most recently, she served as a resident director and multicultural liaison at Calvin College. There she was able to work with uh, and learn from millennials for three years as they navigated uh, college life. She's still out in the G-Rap area. So those of you in G-Rap, man, woo, take advantage of that because we definitely miss her back here in Chicago. And uh, like I said, sat down, talked about her book, talked about it coming out and just the process of writing and again, just being an African-American female in this crazy day and age. So without any further ado, here is Austin and I having a great conversation. Check it out. Why do we have time zones? They just <laughs> mess me up. <laughs> Man, I'm well. I'm glad you called because I was. I you know I had down one third. This actually works perfect for me because. Oh, good. My daughter is at a a camp, and so I was gonna like, have to pick her up at two. So I was already trying to figure out like, oh, no, I gotta oh, I gotta cool. keep the Skype appointment, but I got <laughs> I gotta pick her up too. <laughs> We can't leave the baby. We can't leave the baby. Oh, no, nah, not the babies. <laughs> not, not the babies. So oh, this is perfect. Thank you so Good. much. This is great. I am so excited about this. This is awesome. I've been looking forward to chatting with you. I know. You uh, you, you, you blowing it up, girl. Shoot. I mean, we trying. <laughs> we trying. <laughs> Oh. Pay bills, you know. Yeah, no, I know that's right. That's right. I ain't, man. I'm just, I'm just excited. I think this book is is great, and um, I'm really excited just about you know where you're at and what you your input and what you give to this whole thing. I love it. All right. Well, folks, this is an exciting time uh, on the podcast. I have my good friend, author, reverend, great thinker, philosopher, Austin Channing. How you doing? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. Yes, yes. And I'm glad our time zones were a little mixed up. Are you still, <laughs> for whatever reason, I thought you were in Chicago. You are. Everybody does. It's because <laughs> I want to be. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that the Chicagoans haven't kicked me out of the club. No, oh, no, 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 no. Absolutely. In fact, when I was talking with your, uh, your publisher, I was like, oh, is she here? I'll go to her. I, wherever she's at, I just go to her. <laughs> so. That's hilarious, man. That's hilarious. Um, well, I mean, I'm a, I'm so excited about this book that you have. Um, but I'd like maybe just if you could share a little bit about what what's been your journey, what's been your faith journey, what is what has gotten you to this point now. <laughs> um, so I am in a product of private Christian education. So, um, I have, I have been in love with Jesus for as long as I can remember. All right. Um, and, and, and because it was when I was a kid, I was one of those kids who was accepting Jesus every Friday at the chapel service. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) Got to make sure everything is squared away, you know? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) 
That's right. Hey, I got baptized three times, so I feel you. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you just, when you're a kid, you just want to make sure. That's right. Uh, So, so yeah. So, um, I, um, I really am. I am in love with Jesus. Um, but I'm not always in love with Christians or the church. Uh huh. (laughs) (laughs) So much, much of my journey has been, um, falling in and out of love and um, realigning, readjusting expectations and learning to give grace and spending a lot more time thinking about what could be um, while also trying to name what is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, um, I'm still in love. All right. But I've had a critique, you know? Yes. Yes. What, um, I mean, particularly growing up, I mean, when would you say it was the first time, I mean, everybody says this now, you know, that, that woke moment. I mean, was, were you like aware of some of the racial differences growing up? Um, especially going, I'm assuming, did you go to an all white private Christian school? Yeah, they were all majority white. Okay. Um, thank the Lord. My parents never sent me to a place where I was the only one. Um, okay. I'm really for that. Um, but I would say at most, we're still talking maybe 30% people of color. So definitely okay. predominantly white. Um, but I think because of that, I have been aware of race for a long time. Um, I used to, I remember um, there were a couple of classes where I was the only black girl. So there were other black boys in the classroom, but I was the only girl. And I would be walking behind all the white girls and I would be like, I wonder why their ponytails swish from side to side. <laughs> <laughs> but mine bounces up and down. Oh, mercy. <laughs> like, huh, that's so interesting. Or we get really irritated when the white girls with really long hair yeah. would like sit in front of me and then their hair would be all on my desk. I'd be like, oh, no. <laughs> I'd be like with my little pencil, like moving their hair off my desk. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. That I'm aware hilarious. of for sure. Um, but I didn't really realize what race meant mm-hmm. um, until I had this really sort of profound experience with my mother mm. um, when I asked her why she named me Austin. Oh. I had always known that Austin was like a family name um, that had to do with our family history, but I couldn't figure out why she liked it. And so that's what I was really asking her, like, why? <laughs> like, I know where it comes from, but why did you choose it? Like, why do you like it? And she sat me down and she said, Austin, <laughs> one day you're going to have to apply for jobs or you're going to apply for college. Whoa. And she was like, people are going to read your name and assume you're a white man. What? And we just wanted to make sure that you made it to the interview. Wow. I was wow. like, hmm, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Feel like I'm learning something deep about the world right now. Right, right. I'm not sure what it is, but I feel like I feel like this was a life lesson. <laughs> wow, that's deep. That's what she said, and she said, you know, once you make it to the interview, we know you'll do well. You'll blow people away. Mm-hmm. Like you're amazing. And but then she like underscored, but we just had to make sure you could get to the interview. Wow. Like, huh? Wow. Okay. So yeah, so that was my like first oh, things are not the same mm-hmm. for white 
men and black women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> okay, got it. Man, and wow, that is that is deep. I mean, wow. I was I was wondering. I mean, the, the name. I, I mean, I never really hit, but now now that you mentioned it, that that doesn't make sense. What? Um. So then, your schooling. So you you got high school. Did you go to a private Christian college? I did. Oh. So I have. I listen. I have <laughs> never ever been in a public school. Even my master's degree is a private Catholic school. I mean, it is ridiculous. That's what I'm talking about. Shoot. <laughs> yeah. So I went to North Park University. Hey. Come on. Come on. Um, <laughs> I heard that was the golden era when you were here. I was you were like <laughs> I am gonna honestly say it was kind of amazing. Not because North Park was perfect by any means, <laughs> but because I was a part of folks who were willing to speak and advocate and who expected change yeah. and yeah. and who were their organizing muscles in a way that I had never seen or witnessed or been a part of wow. because of the private Christian education I had been in. All right, um, right. And so some black folks who were like, Mm-mm, this chapel has got to change, was like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, we can do this. I want to be a part of this. Right, right. Amazing. It was amazing. Wow, and so man, that is that is a trip. That's right, and I I had forgotten. I mean, that's right. You are you are spoken of in in very high regard when you know in in the North Park halls, and that is oh, that is what's up. No, no, I'm not. I'm not making that up. That's 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 uh, like I said. That's why I call it the golden era because it seems like man, just that there was a conglomeration of of black students at that. Really true. It's really true. I mean, when I think about what I learned from the students. Um, who came before me, who, who, and I mean that, I mean, I'm laughing, but I really mean it. They demanded that the chapel services be changed to reflect um, people of color. They demanded um, more hiring for staff of color. Um, I remember there was one meeting that got organized around hiring of staffing and basically dared the VP at that time to not show up. Like, I wish, like, I wish you couldn't show up. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so you talk about diversity and multiculturalism. Right, I right. Wish you wouldn't show, you know, but just, like, very high expectations. Wow. Uh, and it was amazing. It was amazing. Wow. That's, um, that's, that's important. I mean, so did that transfer on to, because, I mean, when I first met you, correct me if I'm wrong, did we first meet through Willow, Chicago? Or was it in another spot? It no, it was because, um, well, of course, all all my conglomerate was like, <laughs> Daniel White, how what? <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> okay, thank you. I see you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was working at Willow, Chicago, not long after you got hired. And so when they gave me control to be able to put this little class mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. I was like, I know who I'm calling. So, yeah, so we actually met at Willow, Chicago. But That's I right. knew of you. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! Yeah, no, I was just like, man, who is this sister at Willow, Chicago, <laughs> doing it? Oh man, I still tell that story though. I mean, what you did at that—in fact, that's in my book uh, that's coming out too this this summer. So um, yeah, that that whole story is in in there about just what you did and how you structured that and that whole training season. That is that's powerful. That was fun. I like it. Man, and so, man, so at this book now, you've got it. I'm still here. Um, I'm still tripping off the the first chapter. White people are <laughs> exhausting. <laughs> oh, 
I mean. Don't pretend like you don't know. Oh, come on now. I mean, oh, Lord <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I don't want you to lose your job, but don't pretend like you don't know. No, 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 no. There ain't going to be no losing of the job because this is this is uh, prophetic right <laughs> here. So it's like the first chapter, white people exhausting, in the first sentence, white people exhausting, particularly exhausting, are white people who don't know they are white. I mean, so as you were putting this together, like what what was going through your mind? What were you thinking about in terms of just getting, when this book came together? Yeah. So um, I, much of this book, I honestly wanted to write years ago. Okay. But nobody wanted it because it was about white women touching my hair, right? <laughs> and and publishers were like, "That is not a memoir." Oh <laughs> that, man! That just did. Were you standing on a cliff when that happened? <laughs> like, <laughs> was there a near death experience? Like we need we need more. Um, but then um, within the last five years has been Tanasi Coates, has been Black Lives Matter, yeah. has been transition to <clears throat> our current executive. Um, you know, like there has yeah. been there have been many, many racially loaded things um, that have happened in that five years. And right. so it felt like the timing was right in a way that the timing wasn't right before. Um, and truthfully, it gave me time to unpack um, my own resentments <laughs> and bitterness <laughs> right? yeah. from what could actually be a helpful book <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> As opposed to my own private journal being on display. Um, but I really wanted to highlight um, two things. One, okay. a black woman's experience. Yes. Because I feel so many of the books that get lifted up are about the black male experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate that, but we have a story to tell too. Yes. And then the other thing I really wanted to highlight was having not grown up in the hood. Yes. Yes. That's a story that gets highlighted a lot. And I appreciate that story. I am married to someone with that story. Um, but it, again, it's not my story. And and yeah. it's and it's and it's lonely and it's isolating when you're one of five or one of 10 or one of three yeah um and for some people the only one you know and so i just wanted to write a book that said i see you and you're not alone and uh -huh. um, there are lots of us who have this story um and so yeah th th those were the two things that i really wanted to lift up in this book Man, well, I, mean, I think that's powerful. I mean, because you're right. I mean, I think the stereotype, right? I mean, we as black folks have been in this kind of monolith of a narrative. It's one of the reasons why I don't really give my testimony uh, anymore. In fact, that was episode one. I was like, look, you want to hear my story? Episode one of my podcast. Go check it out. Right. Because it's like, you know, you're right. I mean, because it is. I mean, and, I, and I, I do have the pooky story, right? Mama on crack. Daddy wasn't in the house. And it's just right. like. And and white folks love that stuff, especially when it comes to raising money mm -hmm. to the isolation of any other narrative that doesn't fall into that. And it's almost to the narrative of, well, you're just boring. Well, how come you didn't, you know, be on crack? Weren't you in a gang? I mean, you had to have slapped somebody at one point, right? Something. <laughs> right. Tell me how the white folks saved your life. Right. You know, yes. and I want to write a book that said, actually, being around white folks is difficult, too. It yes. is the same kind of difficult. 
I ain't trying to make no false equivalencies. Yes. Um, but I wanted to honor the different experience and the difficulty that it is to hold on to your identity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When you're, when there's nobody who looks like you or so few people who look like you. Well, on this first chapter, then what are, what were some of the things or what are some of the things? What were, yeah. <laughs> yeah like white supremacy ended. It had, it ended in 2016. My goodness. I'm such really? a great president. Um, what are some of the exhausting modules of, of whiteness? I mean, I, I just, yes. I mean, obviously hair is one of them, but um, I know you mentioned a little bit about, you know, just culture. So upset. I don't know that I even talk about this much in the book, but <laughs> this, this is for the podcast. This is for y'all. Um, one of the things that makes me really upset is how white folks, um, when they're like responding to a racial incident and they're trying to minimize the incident and they think they have said something really profound when they're like, but what about Chicago? What about black on black crime in Chicago? You know, and he just be like, do you know that there are 20 other trolls (laughs) on my Twitter feed who have said the exact same thing? Like it's not original. It ain't helpful. It's not an academic exercise for me. I don't have to think about it for a long time, you know, but they're like really proud of themselves. Right. Right. I find that exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. And the white folks think that they have discovered something profound and really it's the same script, same cast, same same everything. Right. I think that's one of my frustrations even now. Like, you know, okay, so Kendrick won the Pulitzer. Great. I mean, that's awesome. All kind of stuff to talk on that. But then people want to write these white folks is writing on on hip hop and theology like, you know, it's never been written on before. It's like, oh, my goodness. Kendrick is just amazing. And like he's the first rapper to talk about God. And same thing with Chance, right? Like oh. Chance came out and people were like. Right. <laughs> was it a Chris Tomlin song? Like, wait, black people know Chris Tomlin or whatever, whoever it was. I'm sorry if it's not you, Chris. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, it's like, yes, black people are highly aware of white culture. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, ex- exactly. It's, it's everywhere. <laughs> and, and lots of us like Jesus. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> Oh man! Um, I'm like taking over your podcast. No, Um, take it over. What do you think about Snoop's? uh, Is the Bible of Love? Is that what it's called? You know what? I this is this. Ah man! You know this is one of the things I got in my things to see and listen to. I haven't had a chance to get to it yet, Um, but I know I need to. I need to. I need to. Hopefully, by the time we air this, I'll have seen it and talking about it and all that good stuff. But maybe we can do like a Twitter chat or something. There we go. I know. I know, I know. We can make some more white people upset. Uh, right. Well, it's, well and, and so here's the interesting thing is, um, I, it depends on how, I mean, how do you define then whiteness? Because one of the things, speaking of Snoop, one of the things that the, the, the comments I've been getting on, I've been, you know, Instagramming me and tweeting Facebook, and they've been from other black folks talking about, well, but is Snoop saved? And is he talking about the love of God? And, you know, it's like this, <laughs> pres- this prescribed theology of this prescribed Christianity like I was on a to this panel this last week and this other brother just came out he was one of the two in the room everybody else was like you know like you two loving Bono and everything and so okay okay and he was like whoa but is hip-hop speaking the gospel and I was like brother I said give me your address and I'll just send you a copy of my first book let me just I 
Send it's them a, all the books. Right. <laughs> it's been a long day. I don't know if I have time to explain <laughs> stuff that I was explaining in 2008, but, you know, whatever. So I'm curious just to know, like, what is what is the extent of whiteness as a culture, as an ideology that you've engaged with throughout? And particularly since, the, you know, that first chapter is <laughs> exhausting. Well, I think to take this example that you just used, I think and I don't know that I ever would have said it out loud. Okay. But I think that that guy would have been me um, internally. Okay. Right. That's okay. the conversation I've been having in my head. Mm. Uh, is am I allowed to like hip hop? Is 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 Jesus listening when I listen to hip hop? <laughs> is Jesus mm-hmm. mad at me when I right. listen to it? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is my responsibility here as a Christian, right? right. And that's because I was being fed white Christianity mm. with whiteness as a standard. Okay. Um, as opposed to genuinely, deeply, wholeheartedly believing that God shows up in black culture. Yes. Yes. And I feel like there are very few times when one whiteness even acknowledges that black culture is a thing, let alone appreciates that culture as part of the divine. Yes. So I, you know, private Christian education, I had heard of jars of clay and DC talk and, (laughs) you know, Somebody, Michael, somebody, Michael W. Smith. Michael W. And, Smith, yeah. Uh, you know, all, all the people. I couldn't name Nan Song, but I know the names. Right, 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 right. Because right. at home, I was listening to Fred Hammond and Kirk Franklin and Babby Mason. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like Helen <laughs> Baylor. Like, that's who, that's who we were listening to. And I don't think my teachers could have named a gospel artist. And it's funny you mentioned that in in uh, in your next chapter. You were like, yeah. you know, teachers never referenced television shows. My family wouldn't miss a different world. Sister, sister, Moesha. I love those shows, by the way. Um, <laughs> our school praised the music of Amy Grant, DC Talk, and Michael W. Smith, but never mentioned our gospel artists, like you said, Babby Mason, Helen Ta- Helen uh, Baylor, uh, Fred Hammond. You know, commissioned. You know, Kirk. Listen, <laughs> listen, you know, and I think that just gets extended, right? So if if white Christians don't even acknowledge black Christian culture, yes, what the heck are they going to do with hip hop other than demonize it? Absolutely, right? Absolutely. And so for me, um, there was definitely an unlearning. I had to figure out, and I'm, I'm going to botch my language here, but I had to disentangle white. Uh, white expectations of what is holy and what is good and what is right and what is true. Um, I had to separate whiteness from that. Right. And those are, and there's a lot that I find in hip hop that is true. (laughs) Right. Right. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. That is accurate. Yes. (laughs) That is really deep. That is a reflection of what is happening in the world, um, you know. And 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 I don't want to say just like I had to. I had to really dig. Like it, it wasn't that. <laughs> right. Know? Right. It wasn't that it took a whole lot of work. Um, it was just that I had to change my own mentality about the possibility of what is good. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. That's deep. That's deep. What you just said, I mean, what is good? I mean, 
I think that's one of the struggles that when I, you know, I, I, I've mentioned this several times. It's like, you know, I feel like racism oftentimes, you know, gets embedded into, oh, and especially in Christianity, into the theological DNA that we consume. Yeah. It's like commentaries and, and churches. So it uplifts while we think it's uplifting. God is really uplifting a standard of Christianity uh, yeah. that is that is really very white. And so, right, in turn, you have people like G. Craig Lewis who come out and say all all hip hop, including Lecrae and and all of these other Christian rappers are all demonic and are all satanic. And you have a, a church filled with black folks, uh, demographically speaking, very older black folks, but nonetheless, black folks saying, yes, he's right. Let's get rid of all of hip hop. It's of the devil. I think that's a way that whiteness infiltrates um, even what, what could be black theology. I think it's how it usurps. Let me use that word. It's how it usurps black theology. Right. The potential black theology. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Oh. Um, and so with this book coming out, I mean, and, um, I mean, I guess the first question I would want to ask and just with this, how did you get a memoir out? Uh, given that <laughs> as I've talked with publishers, I mean, 10 yeah. years ago it was everybody's memoir, but now it's like, Oh no, you know, they don't want to touch it with a, you know, a 10 foot iron. So it's like, what, yeah. How did how did how did that negotiation go um, in in getting something like this out? I mean, granted, you you know, you already said it's it's, the Black Lives Matter. I mean, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, you got all these 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 elements of blackness, you know, it really literally uh, uh, bursting upon the the, the social stage. It's true. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that makes sense. That's a big reason. And I, I, I don't know that I could underscore that enough. Like I would I would love to be able to be like, well, you know. Dan, my writing is just, you know, <laughs> but it ain't the truth. <laughs> I was writing the same thing five years ago. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. There, there really is a moment in time. And, and I think social media has um, a lot to do with this. Um, where uh, social media is a space where nobody can tell us what voice we have to have in order to be successful. Amen. Amen. And so they've seen the galvanizing power of Black Lives Matter, of protests, of our writing, of, you know, of coats and um, um, Jelani Cobb and uh, Feminista Jones and, you know, like, like all these people who have major following because their voice is just plain black. Hmm. And not monolithically so, right? Like all those people I just named have very different voices. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're all very unapologetic about the way that they speak and what they speak to. Nicole Hannah-Jones is another one. Um, And so I think it's given a window for publishers, a window into the power of our voices Yes. That they didn't have before. Kind of like Black Panther, you know? Oh, yeah. And people are like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't realize a black movie could do this. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. Oh, that's a whole other conversation. A whole other conversation. (laughs) Passing of Titanic. Right. Right. Oh. (laughs) And I think our our voices have been sinking ships. I think we are the icebergs in the water on social media where we are sinking ships. Um, Wow. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I will say, um, truthfully, is is that first sentence that white mm. people are saying. Mm. Um, 
caught people's attention. Um, it, it immediately let them know that this was not going to be a nice book. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. It was maybe going to be lacking just a little grace. Um, maybe. Um, and that intrigued a lot of publishers um, who want books that are different, you know, who, who are looking for a voice that is particular. Yes. Um, and I think for a long time, publishing wanted a voice that was universal, right? A voice that could speak to everyone. But I think the fact that my voice is particular felt like, oh, this is for an existing audience that we can name, that we know, that we can market this to, you know? And so we both went in knowing all white folks ain't going to buy this book. <laughs> right? There's a whole lot of white folks who are going to pick it up, read that first sentence, and put that bad boy right, right. back on the shelf. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Right. But for those who pick it up and laugh because white folks make them upset too. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> That's who this book is for, you know? That's it. And I've been in front of plenty of white audiences where that first sentence is read and the white folks laugh. Right. Why? Because they too are in exhausting conversations with other white folks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man. That is the truth. Oh man, because the first time I saw that, I was just I mean, it wasn't even a thought. I mean, it was just like, yup. Yup. <laughs> yup. Which day of the week? Oh what? Does it end in why? Oh. Yes, I think. Man, um, but I also think you touch on something else in this book that I thought was very interesting. So this is in uh, chapter three, and you talk about, much like my elementary school, the Catholic high school I attended was predominantly white, but there was enough students of color to fill the multiple tables at lunch from a gospel choir, and you generally, you know, make our presence known. You say you talked about a little bit in there about how, you know, there was a, a, a harmony. You said, for the most part, we all existed in harmony. But there were few key moments in which I learned that harmony, this is where I, this is, this is deep. I felt like harmony, the absence of outright conflict often leaves deeper complications untouched. I was yeah. like, oh, oh, man, that Let right there. Let me tell you, this was the messiest chapter. So, you know, mm. as part of the um, uh, publishing process, you know, you do your proposal and that has a couple chapters attached to it. Right. right and right. then you do the whole shebang, but then you have some readers who are looking through it as it's getting edited. Right. So that when it comes back from the editor, you can make changes from your readers too. Oh yeah. So my first readers got to chapter three and all it was, <laughs> was like story, 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 story. There was no point there was no, <laughs> it's just like, here's some things that happened to me in high school. Like that was it. <laughs> they came back and they were like, um, what we were supposed to learn from that. <laughs> so those words you just read were very intentionally crafted because I was trying to think through what is the through line. Yes. Yes. The yes. Story that I tell in that chapter. And that was the through line that there were no swastikas. There were no brawls. There were no inappropriate Halloween costumes. Like you really would have thought that we had achieved this whole like racial justice and reconciliation thing mm -hmm. in this school. Um, but there were some moments where I was like, Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, it's just hidden. Right. <laughs> and it forced me to think through how is that hiddenness impacting me in ways that I'm not even aware of. Yeah. So I had a teacher who um, would always make her own seating charts. Okay. 
and I think it must have been like at the turn of a semester when she had a new class. Yeah. And and so we came in having had her all year long. We came in and she was like, go ahead and find your own seat. And we were like, say what? (laughs) 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 And so she opened the class after we had all sat down and she said, I need to make a confession to you all. I need to acknowledge my own racism. I realized that I have been using um, seating charts mm. to separate black female students. Whoa. That's Whoa. what I said. <laughs> 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 <Like>, huh. <laughs> okay. Well, that's interesting. And she said she had failed to do it. And that's why she realized what she was trying to do, because there Mm. was a classroom where she didn't get the names right. Right. She couldn't tell that the names were black. And so two black girls ended up next to each other. And her first thought when she saw them sit in the classroom was, oh, great. Now they're going to be disruptive through the rest of this class. Wow. 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 And she was like, oh, shit. (laughs) <laughs> like, oh, I can't believe I just had that thought. Right. <laughs> she had right. herself. Yeah. Um, but she had but she had to acknowledge she didn't have to, but she did acknowledge it as true. Mm. And because she didn't I think on some level, honestly, Dan, I think she didn't trust herself to not continue to use her power to do that. Okay. Right? Because there are so many folks, right? Like my name, there are so many folks who, without trying, try and assign a race to a name, right? Right, so right. So she's going to get a roster every year. How yep. is she going to force herself to not try and guess race? Like, it's just not a thing. That's not a thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, right. And so instead of trying to be like, trying to trick herself into being colorblind, so to speak. Oh, Lord, yeah, right? yeah pretending that she can't figure out the names she was like you know what we just ain't gonna use we're not gonna use it anymore (laughs) this is power that i'm gonna give up and let y'all have it you decide where you want to sit and see i mean and that's oh man just i mean that whole story i mean when i was was reading that i was like oh my gosh this is a great example i think of white folks i mean because again i think some oftentimes white folks in particular want to just eliminate racism altogether and then become these like saints yes Rather than acknowledging, okay, man, this thought came in, and I may not necessarily know the root of that, but I have the power to change moving right. forward. Right. You know what I'm and saying? That's what I'm pre- so I was, I was having this, like, crisis moment, because on the one hand, I was like, yo, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> right. Like, you're not even going to pretend that you could be colorblind, mm-hmm. and, like, you're just going to let go of your power to do this. Like, right. that's amazing. Right. And at the same time, I thought have I been, been graded differently? Like, Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. Like, how else has this been showing up that I wasn't even aware of? Were you concerned that I would be disruptive? Oh, Lord. Am I too sassy in your class? Like, oh. you know, it was, it was really this, like, I'm not sure what to do with this. I'm just going to sit here quietly until wow. this class ends. Well, and, and you, oh, mercy, there's, there's so much to unpack right there. I mean, just the concept of implicit bias, right? It's like when I was writing the solo hip hop, um, you know, I wrote a lot of it in Starbucks. Now we got this whole thing okay. going on with Starbucks and everything. And I remember 
I don't even remember what chapter I was on. It was the middle of the afternoon. I was winding down, and they were doing interviews. They were just doing open interviews. And so they okay. were, there was this, uh, obviously, it was a white manager, white woman. And she was interviewing, you know, just going through people. And I could overhear some of the interviews and whatever. But the moment an African-American woman came in, and everybody else was just dressed, you know, just normally. But she came in, and she was, she kind of, she had her stuff together. She was like, she was, she was ready to get hired. Her demeanor her yes. her intonations even her breath was changing yes. and i never forget that moment and thinking to myself i'm like i mean even the question she was asking her was like you know are you gonna and you know are you is, is do you have a means to get here on on time because you know we do expect our people to start on time and i was like and i oh, felt God. like turning over and being like um no wait a minute the last five white <laughs> folks the last five white dudes that <laughs> he's going to jump all in the conversation. Right. The last five white dudes that look like Jim from the office. You know what I'm saying? You didn't say nothing. You didn't ask him about transportation. Right. You didn't right. Oh man. So I mean, I think you're you're absolutely right. I mean, that implicit bias, which is what I think is a large part of driving a lot of the police killings. Right? It's like we we shun somebody at Parkland High School, the white police officer that was trained and he was scared to go out. He's feared for his life. But we shun him. We don't shun any of the police officers that feared for their life. Let me just shoot this brother 19 times, 20 times in the back, running away from me. Hello. Anyways, I'll, I'll, I'll stop. <laughs> um, so, okay. So in moving on here and I, I want to be conscious of time and everything, but you talked about, you know, ain't no friends here. You obviously invoke when you start, you know, when you went to uh, came off to Chicago and, you know, seemed like the perfect place to <laughs> practice adulthood. Um, <laughs> Just when I walked on the campus my freshman year, my first prize was Crindlin McMath. I don't think I know Crindlin McMath. She was the first black she teacher. Passed away. Yeah. Oh, mercy. Okay. Marketing professor, and she took command of every classroom she stepped into. What was that like? What was that like, in, you know, being particularly in... Dang. It was so good. Wow. I had had, like, um, after-school teachers who, who were black folks. I had, um, you know, babysitters who were black folks. So it wasn't that my life was absent of you know like black role models but it was still fundamentally different to have a black woman stand in front of a classroom i just i'm still in awe <laughs> of her and of that moment um but i remember yeah. one in particular um when she was using um she was talking like business plans and okay. and she decided to use the beauty shop as an example and so she started talking about, I think she started talking about how much things would cost. And so she was like, you know, if you're going to come in and get a relaxer, then that would be about $50 or you know, whatever. <laughs> and every white person in my class was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> and she was so silly. She started looking at them like, why don't you know what that is? <laughs> she was like, uh, you know a relaxer <laughs> and they were like <laughs> um, talking about um but it just brought me so much joy mm. because i have been in a classroom so many times where people made references to white things that i was like i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> that's about right skiing. i don't know nothing about sailing i don't know nothing about hockey i don't know you know what i'm saying like right. i don't know what you're talking right. about right i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> That's no, so and nobody is explaining so that I can catch up. Right. So when she just like put it out there and was like, why don't y'all know what I'm talking about? It was just beautiful. It was such a beautiful experience. Then. No, that's what's up. That, I mean, in that connection, I mean, it's big. I know the first time 
when I first got to North Park and I taught um, my first course on hip hop theology, and it was a whole bunch of of seminary black students all up in there. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and that was the comment was like. I come into this class and while I'm learning, I have a context for what's yes. being said. Yes. And I don't, and they were saying that, you know what I'm saying? I don't think I ever realized how much work I was doing to get the reference in order to get the point yes. in order to learn the content. Right? Right. And, she, right. and I was like, I was just with her. Like, yes, relax her. $50. <laughs> got it. Move on. That's right. <laughs> like, there was no work involved for me. And everybody else was like, pause. <laughs> <laughs> do, not, do not understand. Do not compute. Wow. It was wonderful. And for many, many other reasons, too. But Yes. Um, well, yeah, I, it was a fundamentally different experience because I understood. Exactly. No, exactly. I mean, that's powerful. That just that representation. Um, a couple more points here. And like I said, I, you know, every reference the time. Leave, leave people wanting more because I know people are like, oh, man, just keep going. But I leave people wanting more. <laughs> But you say here, um, let's see, what page is this? I think this might be page 67 or something. My dogs are going crazy upstairs. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Good night. They make appearances on the podcast too, man. But you said confession. By the time I graduated from college, I thought that I I was the white culture whisperer. I was fearless. I thought any future encounters of racism would rear their ugly black, you know, heads like purple dragons. And I had no doubt in my ability to slay racist nonsense wherever I found it. I was wrong. Far from impossible beast, I found that white supremacy is more like a poison. Oh, it seeps into your mind, drip by drip, and it makes you wonder if your perception of reality is true. I yelled out loud when I read that. I was like, yes! Oh! Did you almost get slain in the spirit? Oh my gosh. I was like, man, I'm going I'm gonna just give Stan Austin some money just so she can put it in the in the in the in the, in the offering plate. <laughs> Oh, oh, mercy. Yes. I mean, because I can't. T- I was not prepared. I was not prepared. And I still am trying to find language. You know, I mean, I, I wrote a whole chapter on it. But the truth is, I'm still trying to find language that adequately <laughs> expresses how whiteness will really make you feel like you crazy. Right. And I mean that as like a, a slur or like as a, you know, I mean, like genuinely, am I losing my mind? Yeah. I, I thought I thought that I thought that happened. I'm pretty sure she reached out and touched my hair. I'm pretty sure he called me colored in the hallway. Like I think <laughs> I think these things happen. Like I am not losing my mind. Mm. My my perception of reality is true. That was racist. Yes. What you said on that stage was racist. What was said in that video was racist. Like this is problematic. You can't see. You know. Like, <laughs> I'm not losing my grip on reality. These things are happening. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and I think, I mean, that's, I mean, because I can't tell you how many times I've felt the same way. It's like, man, did that really happen? Did that? No, (laughs) no, it can't be, you know, it can't be really going on. But yes, it is. And, you know, like you talked about, companies like to talk about the diversity and inclusion efforts. But you remember one unusual frank conversation with an organization board of directors, which I learned how those efforts often work, you know, and, you know, who gets hired, who doesn't get hired. Um, you know, you said your mouth dropped open, but the rest of my body froze. I had no idea how to speak the truth to a person who held my program in their hands or in his hands. Mm-hmm. I, Listen, you're trying to get a diversity training funded. 
<laughs> and the person who decides whether or not your diversity training gets funded is like, but do we really need this? Don't we don't we want assimilation? Right. Don't we all want to be the same? Don't we want to be a unified organization? And you'd be like, um, I have never heard anybody use the word assimilation in a positive sentence. I don't even know how to respond to this. Oh, mercy. I didn't know that was still a thing. I thought we had crossed that bridge already. Oh, my gosh. Man, well, I mean, right, exactly, exactly, exactly. I mean, that's, I think that's what always gets me. It's like I think we're one place, right. and then I find out that the, you know, the white spaceship is still like, you know, 2,000 light years behind me, and I'm like, wait, wait. Why are we still teaching people that colorblindness, not a thing, or that, like, racial colorblindness, not a thing? Right. Um, You know, why are we still teaching white women that you can't touch my hair? Like, I don't, how long, how many decades are we going to spend on this? Right, right. I thought we had, I thought we, I guess not, no, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Man, what um? So where are you at now? What are moving forward? What uh? What what are some thoughts? And and by no means am I asking for a cookie cutter. Oh, baby, do these three steps, and you know, talk to Tony Robbins, and you know, let me tell you how to fix America. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, next for me in this conversation is figuring out ways to continue to name whiteness, continue to name white supremacy, white fragility, white guilt, you know, all the white things, but to also uplift black dignity. Mm. Mm. And I feel like that's something that I haven't done a very good job of, and I'm not sure that even our national conversation around race has done a good job of. Okay. So we will talk about, um, we will talk about, you know, what white folks should do better, um, here, so so um, we will look at the news media and say, huh, white murderers are talked about like they just lost their way, while black victims are talked about <laughs> <laughs> like they caused their, like they set up the circumstances in order to have this happen to them. Like there's something, something seems amiss here, right? And we will, right. we will call that out, right? Yeah. But I feel like what we haven't done is said um or i feel like this moment that we're in now um is is beginning to say hey listen even if a black person did something wrong there's still an inherent dignity that we should acknowledge and protect (laughs) right like yes like it is just one right like naming what is happening is important but we also have to fill it with something else yeah and something else is black folks have the right to live even when we're imperfect. Mm. Mm. So, right. I want to do a better job of, of naming what whiteness gets wrong. Yeah. Also naming that good. Right. So I feel like we're almost back where we started. Right. So <laughs> hip hop, right. Hip hop. Um, you know, like the, the things about black culture that have been written off. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, <laughs> I just saw this meme, and sorry, this is going to be old by the time you air this, but this meme, this Christ, um, Christ Coachella or whatever. Have you seen this meme? Oh, 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 man. No, I've not seen this one, though. No. Oh, good <laughs> God. So it's filled with white names like Jars of Clay and all the folks that we talked about earlier. Oh, and I'll confess, I did not get most of the jokes. <laughs> I, mean, I was like, I don't, I don't know enough about these people to get the jokes. Right. Um, 
But then there were like three black folks in this meme. One, Lecrae, and some joke about him being muted on Twitter. Um, one about a minority pastor who's going to lecture um, all the white people about diversity. And the third joke was, remember those three weeks when we thought Chance was a Christian? Oh, man. Hello. And I was like, uh, okay. (laughs) Right. That's that's not funny. No. No. (laughs) I don't get it. Maybe the rest of the meme was funny, but those three things, not, that's not funny. Right. Um, right. And so, so if I were to use that meme as an example, it would be like, let's talk about how whiteness assumed that only white people would read this and use black folks as a punchline in a joke that we don't get. <laughs> right. So yeah. all that said, blah, 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 blah. Lecrae is muted. Like blah, 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 blah. Right. Like that's not funny. It's just not funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you assume that only white folks would be reading this. And that's why you thought it would be funny. Right. So we can name that. But I need to also say, here's why chance is amazing. And here's why it's not funny that you would question his Christianity, because he's doing this for the community. He does this for kids. Here are his lyrics and his songs. Here is the way he talks about, you know, like, yes, you know, I want to do both sides. I want to continue to name whiteness and name what's wrong with where we are. But I want to do a better job of, of uplifting blackness, black folks, black culture, and celebrating who we are. So that's what's next for me. That's what's up. Yeah, that's one of the last uh, paragraphs you write here. It says, when the sun happens to shine, I bask in the rays, but I know I cannot stay there. This is not my place to stand, so I abide in the shadows and let hope have its day and its death. It is my duty to live anyway. I mean, I thought that was very poignant um, in just a, a fight that continues that I know will continue even, you know, even for myself like long after, you know, I die. I mean, I don't think that this will be resolved in my lifetime and, you know, we'll have a kumbaya end of the movie where everybody, you know, it works out and the bad people, they're, you know, burned or whatever and sent into exile. Right, right, right. Yeah, but we got up and we do the work anyway. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, Austin, where can folks find you? Where can they uh, send you that uh, $1.8 million uh, honorarium to come speak at their uh, graduation? <laughs> um, so my website is austinchanning.com, um, and I try really hard to keep it updated. The blog is not updated because I've been writing a book, um, but everything else is. <laughs> um, and then I am really active on the social media, so Instagram, Facebook, and the Twitters. Um, I love all three of them. Excellent. And so stay tuned for more. I plan to release a discussion guide soon. There will be videos to go along with that. I'm working on potentially being able to do a summer tour, a mini, mini, mini summer tour. So yeah, so stay tuned on all the things. That would be amazing. That's your Oh, and because you have Chicago listeners, um, on May 20th i am coming to chicago to have my book release party and i would love for people to come oh yeah oh yeah i'm gonna i've got that on the calendar so we'll we'll promote that as well yes so good i would really really love it that's what's up that's what's up and you know for those of you listening i'll put all this in the show notes um for support where can people get the book should we get them from you off your website? I, yeah, no, wherever. Okay. Wherever you want to buy a book. I would love for people to buy um, at their independent bookstore. Uh-huh. Um, yes. Just to, you know, just to support the independents out there. Yes. Uh, but yes, really, anywhere. I okay. am I am not picky. Okay. 
That's what's up. Well, Austin, this has been an amazing conversation. I felt like I laughed for like the last 40 minutes. This was this, <laughs> this was amazing. This time was great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. This was great. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, y'all. How you doing out there? Guess what, y'all? We are going to be at the Wild Goose Festival this year. What's the Wild Goose Festival, you ask? Well, there's a whole website, www.wildgoosefestival.org. We here at Profane Faith Podcast are really excited that we are doing a live recording this year at the Wild Goose Festival. It's going to be on Friday, July 13th, starting around 1 o'clock in the Goose Cast tent. And you can join the fun by being part of our audience. In fact... We can help you out on that. Just go to www.wildgoosefestival.org and use the promo code GOOSECAST18. And there's a little asterisk star next to it. GOOSECAST18 with a little asterisk star. When you buy your tickets and you'll receive a whopping 25% off, yo. 25% off. Yo, Wild Goose Festival this summer coming up. Profane Faith Podcast doing a live production. You could be in the audience. Get on over there. WildGooseFestival.org. Promo code GooseCast18. Be there. <laughs>